every week we go to the scriptures because it's there that we believe that that the work um, of Jesus Christ are most clearly revealed. Um, our sermon this week will be from 1 John 2, 18 through 27. But first, please pray with me. Father, um, please just open the eyes of our hearts. Um, let us hear your voice through your words today, through the sermon from Brandon today. Help us to respond in faith. Help us to know the truth and not only to know it, but to walk in it. We ask all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in, in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is uh, Brandon, one of the pastors here at, uh, at Sojourn Heights. Uh, we are in a series uh, in the book of First John. Uh, good morning to you at home online as well. Uh, I apologize. First uh, John, uh, the, the, the setting, the situation, the reason the letter was written is this, that there was uh, this church that was started, uh, this series of churches, uh, that they had a group of people uh, leaving the church to start new communities, uh, and they were trying to take people with them. And so John writes this letter in response to that, and this letter, it, it's, uh, it's unique in a number of ways. Uh, it actually was written much more like a sermon than a letter. Uh, it, it lacks many of the characteristics of ancient letters. It, it has uh, much more the look, feel of an ancient sermon. Uh, it's got some, you know, some emotion to it, some angst. It's, um, it's fairly circular, right? So it's, uh, it's not linear where it has a clear progression to it. It uh, it brings up a theme, an image, it moves on, it comes back to it, it moves on, it comes back, and that's sort of how it uh, kind of kind of more symphonic in a way. Our, our passage is actually kind of a microcosm of the entire book. It's going to do that. We move on, come back. But in our text today, uh, John, the author, is moving back to the main thrust of the letter. He's moving back to his principal thesis, if I could say it that way the distinction between the true and the false, the distinction between the true Christian 
the genuine Christian and the one who proves themselves not to be. In doing so, John has given a few tests already. Uh, two tests, this is going to be a third, to identify the true from the false. The first test he gave, I, if I could label it, I would label it the uh, obedience test. Uh, this was uh, back earlier in the chapter. He said, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. All right, pretty clear, pretty straightforward, not, not complex ethics happening right there. The second test was the love test, right? So love your brother, do not love the world, and now we get to the third test, the doctrine test, the what do you believe test. Um, I'm 43 now. I became a Christian when I was 22. Uh, the guys who uh, introduced me to Christ, they would, uh, they would carry around these 400-page theology books and act like they read them. Um, they, they did so to impress girls and get dates, which is how you know you're in a weird community. But I got the nickname Basic B. They gave me that nickname 20 years ago because I didn't care about doctrine and I didn't care about pretending like I did. I did not think doctrine mattered. I thought, here's what matters. People need to know that they're loved, that they're cared for. Doctrine simply does not matter. And John would say, I was wrong dead wrong. He would say, if you don't think doctrine matters, you are wrong. And at the risk of sounding hyperbolic, John would say that there are certain doctrines for which life and death hangs in the balance. Which particular doctrines does he think that over? Let's get into the text and find out. Verse 18. This is, where, this is where he begins. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Now, I need to stop right here and define some terms, namely last hour and Antichrist, because I'm afraid that when you heard last hour and Antichrist, you immediately thought left behind. Anybody? Show of hands. Come on, let's just do it. No? Okay, just us. This is a, this is a illustration fail, we call it in the biz. Um, Left Behind, if you haven't seen it, it's a movie about the end times. Um, and there's a figure uh, who is the Antichrist who leads this global movement, um, global government. It, it is very much fiction. I do not recommend watching the movie. But I want to define last hour and Antichrist here. So last hour... Uh, th uh, th this is the period of time from Jesus' resurrection until his return. So early Christians, they all saw themselves as living in the last days, the last hour, which did not mean that they believed that there were seven or eight or ten or twelve days left or two or three or four years. It meant they, they, they saw themselves living in that period of time between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And the term Antichrist it's actually only used in 1st and 2nd John, but the idea is found outside in other parts of the Bible. And I want to look at two of them because I want to see something about them that will highlight something important for us uh, here in 1st John. So one of the examples is in 2nd Thessalonians. In 2nd Thessalonians, there's a passage talking about the end of history, talking about the return of Christ. 
Uh, and it describes a human figure like this. It says, one who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. All right, so the, 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 the Antichrist-type figure in Second Thessalonians, it's a human, a person, right, who uh, sees himself taking the place of Christ as an object of worship. And the second place is in the book of Revelation. There's a, um, a, uh, a figure, a beast, who is making war against God and his people, and I don't have time to go through all of the rabbit trails of how to understand and interpret uh, Revelation right now, um, but I'll say this, that at a minimum, here's what's happening in Revelation in this figure, that it's a spiritual figure who sits behind uh, human systems and even human uh, societies to make war against Christ and his church. What's the point? Here's the point. Every place outside of John, when the figure who is a type of anti-Christ appears, it is someone outside of the church. Only in 1 John is it someone from within. When John names the anti-Christs who have come, they are people who have come up from within not people who are from without. All right, let's keep reading. I'm going to start back at verse 18 and keep going. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all, that they all are not of us. Okay, so the Antichrist, these are people who have left the church. They left over doctrine, which John will get to in a minute. But he said something about them that is meaningful, practical, and helpful for us, I think. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Went out from us, but they were not of us. Now, uh, this is a good translation to get through the sense of what's happening here, but if you're familiar with the, uh, the Bible, the New Testament's written in Greek, we translate it over into English, uh, and, and there's a play on words here that, that I think would be helpful for us to see, where it says, from us and of us, the words from and of, it's the same word. It's the same word. So, the, the sense, the idea of this statement is very clear. They went out from us but they were not from us. You see, the idea John is communicating here is that they went out from our community, but they never truly belonged to our community. They were among us, but they were not one of us. This is why John would say to my 22-year-old self, if you don't think doctrine matters, you are wrong. Because this verse right here is both a comfort and a warning to us. It's both a comfort and a warning because I know from years, and we know from years of walking with and talking with um, you, that fear of losing our salvation, fear of, man, have I done too much that I can't have a relationship with God? Have I done X, Y, or Z, and therefore I am now beyond the boundaries of grace and unforgivable? We know that is a unique struggle for many of us, a particular struggle for many of us. There's an insecurity that a number of us live with over this. 
And so what I want to do is I want to read a quote uh, from a guy named John Stott, brilliant, helpful theologian on this, and then I want to tell us how this, bo- th- this verse is both a comfort and a warning. So here's John Stott on this verse. He says, salvation is not the reward of endurance. Endurance is the hallmark of the saved. If the false teachers had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. This is stated as a principle. Those who belong to us stay with us. You see, here's the comfort. The comfort is that if you are connected to the body, you should have no fear, no reason to be concerned. The warning is that if you find yourself drifting, you should. A beautiful comfort and a serious and sober warning. John would say, John, the author of this letter, that if you remain a part of the body of Christ, you should have no reason to fear. Now listen, I, I say that at the risk of, 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 of some of you hearing that this is just a power play to get more people into our church. That is not what is happening right now. The body of Christ is beautiful. She is global. She is messy. And she is gathering down the street from us right now. She is gathering right here. She is gathering in Dallas and in Dubai. In Friday in Dubai. On Friday Dubai. She is beautiful, and John is saying, stay connected to her. If you do, you have no reason to fear, but if you don't, you do. So here's the thing about drifting. Almost nobody who is drifting looks up and says, hey, I'm drifting. Hey, come, come grab me, I'm drifting away. Almost always drifting happens the way it happens when you get in the water at the beach. Right, you get in the water in the beach, you're playing, you're jumping waves. That's my favorite game to play. Very small waves. And then you look up and all of a sudden you're 50 yards over. And you have no idea how you got there. That's how drifting happens. So, here's a, I wanted to give a few uh, diagnostic questions. A few sort of self um, analyzation, I was about to say self-help, and I caught myself, Uh, self-analyzation questions to know, am I drifting? Question one, would my community say that I am more or less present than a year ago? Question two, do I structure my life around kids' activities, vacations, more than I do my church? Do I pray and read the Bible more or less than a year ago? Do I think of Sundays as optional? Listen, if you answer yes to any of those, that does not mean that you are drifting, but here's what it does mean. It does mean that you should look up and see where in the beach you are. You should look up and find out what, am I, where I started or if I drifted somewhere else. And they're leaving. It became clear that they were never one of us, John says. Fortunately for us, the next verse begins with but you. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. I'll explain that in a second. You have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Okay. Anointed by the Holy One. What is that talking about? Well, almost every commentator I could find agrees that there's a direct line from uh, that statement back to Luke 4 where Jesus says that, I was, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon me uh, and anointed me. This is a reference to the Spirit coming into your life. As a quick aside, if you're new to Christianity, Christians believe that there's one God in three persons, so not three gods, but one God, God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Spirit, and this is the Spirit coming onto someone's life. And so we need to ask the question, what does the Spirit do? What is John saying that the Spirit does? Well, one of John's favorite images has been light and darkness. Light and darkness. And so I think it's fair to say that um, one way that we could describe the work of the Spirit is that in our conversion, going from non-Christian to Christian, that what the Spirit does is turns the lights on. Turns the lights on. That to live in darkness at its core is to live not knowing that Jesus is God, not knowing that He loves you, died for you, came for you. And when you come to believe, it's the Spirit turning the lights on for you. If I could try to illustrate from my own life, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't grow up a Christian um, there was a pretty agnostic uh, bent to my family. I did have a religious impulse in me. I kind of tagged some of that from the Catholic school that I went to. Uh, in college, I would often at 2 a.m. Uh, look at the, you know, whoever I'm hanging out with and just say, hey, you want to go to church in the morning when I hadn't been to church in like a decade, right? And then there's these guys who just befriended me. They just said, hey, come on, come to this Bible study. I went to the Bible study. I went back. They went back again, and I remember in the room looking around watching people sing. And I remember feeling, not even thinking, but just feeling, I want what they have. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but whatever they have, that's what I want. What was happening? The Spirit turning the lights on. But the Spirit doesn't just turn the lights on, the Spirit keeps the lights on. Keeps the lights on in your life so that you can discern true from false what is true from what is not. One of my uh, guilty pleasures in life uh, is that I love the show The Voice. Anybody else? Yeah. But here's one thing you hear on that show pretty often. Um, I, I just love how authentic your you know, performance was. Um, I love that you just sang your truth, that you sang your truth. Now, listen, there, there are times when your truth doesn't matter, right? I think MJ is the GOAT. Some of you think LeBron is. I, I love Adele and country music. Some of you don't. My truth, your truth on matters like that, they just don't matter. But John is saying that when it comes to understanding who Jesus is and is not, there is no your truth and my truth. There's one truth, and he is the Christ. And the Spirit keeps the lights on so that we can see Him clearly. Because not all doctrines, not all doctrines do life and death hang in the balance, but there is one that it does. And John is going to get to it right now. Verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? I, I'm going to read that again. And I'm going to read it slow, and I'm going to ask the Lord to sink that into us, the words He's using right here. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the Son. There it is. There it is. And you notice the language that he uses? Liar. Who is the liar? Strong language. Could have easily easily read, who, who is the misinformed? Who, who is the poorly taught? Who, who, who is the confused? Could have read any of those. Who is the liar? Who is the liar? 
Why such strong language? Why such strong language from John to this church, these churches? Why such strong language? I think there are two reasons why. I'll give one now. I'm going to say one to the end. Reason number one is that he was writing to protect them. John is writing this letter to this church to protect them. If you recall, at the beginning of the series, we, we kind of framed up the series illustrating that John sees this church as standing on a plank, out on a plank, one step to the right, one step to the left, danger awaits. And John is writing this letter to protect them, saying, listen, don't follow them out onto the plank. It doesn't end well if you do. John is writing to this church, seeing them in danger, saying, don't follow them out on the plank. And why is getting out on the plank so dangerous? Here's why. You don't get to redefine the son and embrace the father at the same time. You don't get to redefine the son and embrace the father at the same time. You, you redefine the son and you reject the son. You redefine Jesus you have no relationship with God. That's what John is saying right here. To say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I do not believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah. John is saying, you redefine him, you reject him. Let me, let me, let me illustrate. If, if I said to you, listen, let me, let me tell you the thing I love most about my wife. There's a lot of things I love about my wife. Let me tell you the things I love most about her. I love that she is five foot two, and she has long, blonde, flowing hair. Now, some of you are laughing because you know that my wife is not 5'2". She is 5', like, this high. <laughs> I'm not getting it wrong, just for the record. And she has brown hair. You see, here's the point. 5'2 and blonde is a different woman. A Jesus who is the Christ is, a, is not the Christ, is a different Jesus. You redefine Jesus, you reject Jesus. And you have no relationship with the Father. That is why it is so dangerous. Now, let's keep reading, and we'll get to the second reason for the strong statement in just a moment. Second half of verse 23, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Amen. Amen. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. See, here John is getting to the heart of Christianity. I mean, he is throwing an arrow and hitting the bullseye of what it is that Christians, that we believe. That if you confess the Son, you get the Father. So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What is the message they heard from the beginning? Here it is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came, lived, and died for you, was resurrected from the grave, ascended back to his Father who is ruling and reigning right now, who will one day come to restore and reconcile all things to himself. And John is saying, let that abide in you. But there's an if-then statement again. If this abides in you, if the message that you have heard abides in you, if the gospel takes up residence in you and remains, then you will abide in him. You will abide in him. You see, John is not saying all doctrines have to be nailed down just 
here and there and there to abide in Christ. That is not what he's saying. He's not saying you've got to get the finer points of all theology right. He is saying that there is a single doctrine, the gospel, and at its heart, at its core, that Jesus is the Christ who came not simply as a religious teacher but came as God in the flesh to redeem, to reconcile lost sinners like me and you to himself. And if that remains in you, then you remain in him. And what is at stake? Nothing short of holding on to the promise of eternal life. A promise that I, I will hold on to you, so hold on to me. This is why as a church, this is why as a church we so desperately want everything about us to be saturated with the gospel. It's why sermons are not theological lectures, but they are gospel proclamation. It's why we partake of communion every week for gospel nourishment. It's why we structure our gatherings the way that we do for gospel rehearsal. It's even why we follow the church calendar because the church calendar orients our year around the gospel. Everything we do is to keep the gospel in front of us, to be abiding us so that we will continue abiding in him. And so let's keep going. Let's keep reading. John is going to land the plane with something that on the surface seems a little strange at best, but will take us to the second reason for such strong language, for using the word liar. Verse 26, I write these things to you. about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Okay. On the surface, here's what it seems like John is saying. Seems like John is saying, you have the Spirit, you don't need a teacher. You have the Spirit. You have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, most locally in its context, it is certainly saying, listen, do not follow those teachers who are trying to pull you and lead you astray. But it seems like what he is saying is that those of you who have received the Spirit, the Spirit of God's come into your life, lights have been turned on, that you now no longer need a teacher. It's actually a common, commonly taught today. But that cannot be what it means. I know that it cannot be what it means because John is teaching them through this letter. He would be teaching them that they don't need a teacher. So it cannot be what it means. So what does it mean? John Stott, again, so helpful. This is, I think, summarizes it well, what's happening here. This is what John is saying, that both the apostolic teaching, that's the Bible, Right? So that's the, I'm writing these things to you. I'm writing these things. When John is writing these things, that's the scriptures. Both the apostolic teaching, Bible, and the heavenly teacher, that's the spirit, are necessary for continuance in the truth. And both are to be personally and inwardly grasped. You see, this is what I think John is trying to communicate. John the author, not John Stott that the scriptures are the objective safeguard to guide and protect you. I'm writing you these things. I'm writing these scriptures to you so that you will not be deceived, so that you will not be pulled away over here. 
And the Spirit, this is the, John Stotts now, his words, the subjective experience. The Spirit taking the Scriptures and internalizing them. Taking that objective safeguard and internalizing it for you. I'm writing so that you don't get deceived, so that you would submit to the Scriptures and that you would have the Spirit writing them down deeply into your heart so that you would not be led astray. And here's the question that we need to ask that will take us to the second reason I think he used such strong language earlier. The second reason I think he used the, the word liar earlier. Why he wrote so that they would not be deceived. Here's the question we need to ask. Why did he feel the need to write this? Why did he feel the need to write with such strong language that I'm writing this to you so that you would not be deceived? What did John know about them and about us that so compelled him to write this letter? Here's what I think it is. I think John knows that there is a liar in all of our hearts. That the liar is not simply someone or something out there, but it's in here. So here's what John knows. John knows that the human heart is deceitful and we change what we believe because we want to change what we believe. You change what you believe because you want to change what you believe. And so let me connect it to the doctrine of Jesus being the Christ. You change that doctrine. Why? Well, why would, why would uh, the people who are in this church that John is writing to find a changed doctrine about Christ so compelling? Why would, he find it so, why would they find it so compelling? Well, here, here's what I think the answer is. You change your doctrine of Christ and you change your doctrine of salvation. One leads to another. It's a domino effect. One domino to the next. Boom, they're down. Here's what John knows. John knows that it's going to go from, right, from Jesus is the, the Christ, Messiah, Savior, God who came to rescue me to a good example to follow, to a wonderful religious teacher, great moral example to follow, someone worthy of our admiration, but not worship. What it means is that salvation would go from all grace to some grace. It would go from Jesus, who is the Christ, Son of God, who came, who lived, who died in my place as my substitute to the religious teacher who came to set the moral example to make salvation possible if I just do enough and do it well enough. You change your doctrine of Christ and you change your doctrine of salvation. And listen, every one of us is going to find that compelling. You know why? Because you know, what the, you know what all of us want? We all want to be bootstraps kind of people. We all want to be, I got it done myself. None of us, the, the, the human heart's default is not going to be, I want to have someone else come and redeem me and save me. It's, I want to have some part in it myself. And so what, what's going to happen if we change our doctrine of Christ is we go from Jesus the Christ who came to redeem to Jesus plus. Plus my, you fill in the blank. So let me tell you what I think is, in light of that umbrella, the most dangerous doctrine for us right now. The, the doctrine that I think most of us are most tempted, I shouldn't say most, hang on, let me back up. 
many of us are most tempted to believe. Many of us even want to believe. As urban Houstonians, work hard, get it done kind of people, it's this. Human autonomy. I am my own man. I am my own woman. I submit to no one. Why? Because I want to be my own Christ. I want to be the Lord and sovereign over my own life. I want to rule and reign in me, over me, and no one else. I want to submit to no one. That's why John Stott would say to the Christian, we need the apostolic and the heavenly teacher. We need the Bible and we need the Spirit. And we need to open it up and we need to submit to it. We need to let it rebuke us. We need to let it argue the gospel into our heart over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because listen, the liar is not simply out there. The liar is in here. And we need the, we need the scriptures to just counterpunch that liar day in and day out, day in and day out to go to war with us, in us, for us. Practically, what does that mean? Get on a reading plan. Just find a reading plan. Listen, I'm, I'm writing a new one because I'm not satisfied with any of them. If you want it, I will share it with anyone. Open the Bible though, day in and day out and just read it and let it counterpunch the liar within you. And John would say to the non-Christian, open the Bible and wrestle with it. Open the Bible. Maybe start with Luke or John. Find some people to read it with. If you don't have anyone to read it with, I'll read it with you. Any and every question is welcome. But open it up and wrestle with it. Sojourn, there is a liar in all of us. Let's be a people who go to war with them, who open the scriptures day in and day out, who submit to them, who plead with the Spirit, take what's written and write it deeply into my heart. My 22-year-old self could not have been more wrong. Doctrine matters. By what they believe, those who left proved proved they never had a real relationship with God. By what you believe, you remain and prove that you do. Let's pray. Father, we are here and we are asking for your mercy and your grace and your help, your persevering, your sustaining grace in our lives. Help us be a people, help us be a church, a community that just submits our life to the Scriptures, who pleads with the Spirit to internalize them, that, that they might be both that objective and subjective safeguard, pointing us to Christ day in and day out, counterpunching the liar in our heart, the liar that I can be my own Christ, the liar that I need to submit to no one. Do that for us. Do that for your glory, for our joy, for one another's good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.